Jenny's going to come and she's going to read our text. Our text is 2 Samuel chapter 16 and it's verses 5 through 14. 2 Samuel 16 verses 5 through 14. When King David came to Behurim, there came out, out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. And as he came, he cursed continually. And he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shimei said as he cursed, get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on, all, on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned, and the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. Then Abishai, the son of Zahuria, said to the king, Why would this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. But the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zahuria? For he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, Curse David. Who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and all the servants, Behold, my son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjaminite? Leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me, and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. So David and his men went on the road, while Shimei went along on the hillside opposite him, and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and flung dust. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan, and there he refreshed himself. This week I was on my way to a meeting, and um, I was speaking with my dear wife Lois while I was driving to this meeting, and um, actually speaking is not the right word, I should be more honest. I was venting. Uh, the morning had not gone the way that I had hoped. Some stresses had piled up. I was feeling pretty frustrated with where some things were at in my world, and so I vented to Lois the way that I was feeling. Now, I wasn't angry at her but I was certainly angry at the way that things were going and how things were happening and some of the frustrating things that had happened in the morning. <clears throat> was it right for me to do that? No. Of course not. Did I think I had good reason to do it? You bet I did. I felt like I had good reason to say some things, to get some things off my chest. Did I feel better at the end? No, actually, I arrived to the meeting stressed, feeling like I didn't even want to go to the meeting, feeling like I should just turn around and go home, and the whole thing was just going to be a mess. Here's the problem. My flesh is the worst roommate in my heart. And even though the Spirit shuts the door to temptation in my heart, the flesh has a way of leaving the lights on, 
clearing away all the shoes and, and clutter and so on away from the door, and then sending flashing arrows so that he can always find his way back to the door to let the temptation in. We have to remember that our flesh loves sin and that it wants every pleasure that sin promises. In Matthew 26, after celebrating the Passover, Jesus and his disciples make their way into the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus invites Peter, James, and John to go a little further with him. He is going to ask them to watch, to be alert, and to pray with him. And Peter, James, and John power nap. I can sympathize with that. They have good intentions, but they have terrible follow-through. Why? Jesus tells us, the Spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 28 says this, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Self-control is a wall between your flesh and the temptation that comes knocking at the door. Self-control resists temptation. How? Through stubborn belief that God designs what is best. What does self-control look like? Well, you can be sure of this. No one accidentally exercises self-control. <laughs> It doesn't happen by accident. Self-control looks like hearing a tasty morsel of gossip and changing the subject or ending the conversation. Self-control. Self-control looks like giving up what you may be free to enjoy in order to avoid damaging a relationship. Rather than pausing to gawk, self-control means scrolling past content that you might encounter on your phone that is intended to stir up lust. Self-control. Self-control looks like absorbing the frustration of picking up the same room for the third time today. Self-control means being honest about our sin and inviting accountability. Self-control means, are you ready for this, Embry? Noticing the Dutch apple caramel pie, my personal favorite, left over on the counter and choosing not to have the third piece. Self-control. Self-control looks like listening more and defending yourself less. Self-control looks like squelching the urge to get angry at a bad driver in traffic. Self-control looks like stopping and asking God for wisdom 
and patience and discernment rather than firing off a text message that you think is going to solve the problem. Now, maybe as you consider self-control, you realize that you are rarely exercising it and that your flesh is regularly finding its way to let temptation in the front door. It may be that you are prone to rationalizing your sin. This is just a little white lie. Maybe I would say this in my car. I really wasn't that angry. No one is getting hurt. I'm only looking. Can't you see? I'm just doing what's best for everyone involved. Rationalizing. You may also make excuses. It's not my fault. I didn't cause this conflict. I didn't start the conversation that turned into gossip. This is the third time that she's responded to me this way. She's the problem. Excuses. We may even presume upon God. Hmm? We may presume upon God. His mercy is more, right? I'll just sin a little more and I'll get more grace. There's more grace for this sin. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. Or we may find ourselves in self-pity. I've worked really hard this week. I deserve this. Today has been so exhausting. My spouse is ignoring me. Self-pity. Rationalizing and excuses and presumption and self-pity are enemies of self-control. Rationalization and excuses and presuming on God and self-pity, these tear down the wall between the flesh and the temptation that is knocking at the door. Here's the context for 2 Samuel 16, and I realize we are really just dropping into a story here. So here's like four or five lines of context, okay? Through four years of self-promotion and networking and manipulation, Absalom has won the hearts the attention, the approval of the people. David, his father, is still king. But Absalom has stolen away the hearts of the people. And he has done it intentionally. He instigates an insurrection against his father and declares himself to be king. But rather than fighting his son... David chooses to leave the capital city. Look again at verse 5. When King David came to Bahurim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. And as he came, he cursed continually. And he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were at his right hand and on his left. A mighty, the mighty men are like um, the Avengers or if you're old school, the Power Rangers. Like these guys could get it done. 
If David needed something done, this is his A-team, the mighty men. And they are on his right hand and his left. In other words, David is surrounded by these guys who can get this job done. And Shimei said, as he cursed, get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. He's talking to King David. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned, and the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. Verse 9, here comes the temptation. Then Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, to King David, one of his mighty men, an avenger, a power ranger, somebody who can get this done, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. Shimei will be executed with a simple command from David's mouth. In fact, he probably doesn't even have to speak. A nod of approval, and this mighty man will go get the job done, deal with Shimei, and end this. That's the temptation. Knocking at David's door. David might have rationalized. One person has already been hit by a rock. If I don't put an end to this, he's going to hurt more of us. And I certainly don't want my family hearing all of the nasty things that he has to say about me. David might have made excuses. This whole situation is Absalom's fault. I didn't cause this conflict. I don't even want to leave Jerusalem. I'm only doing it because he's left me no choice, and now I'm in this mess. He might have made excuses. He may have presumed. Can you believe this guy? God called me to be king. God anointed me king. Who does he think he is? I'm the king, and God made me king. He might have had self-pity. My kingdom is collapsing. My reign is coming to an end. My own son has turned against me. Why, why should insult be added to my injury? Verse 10. But the king said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? In other words, what? You are not going to go and execute him. You're not going to get this job done. I'm not going to give in to rationalizing or making excuses or presuming on God or self-pity. I refuse to give in to those things. If he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, curse David, who then shall say, why have you done so? 
And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite leave him alone and let him curse? For the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. What does David do? He avoids both ditches. He, he avoids the ditch of doing nothing and just letting his mighty men sort of be confused about what's going on and why you're not responding to this threat. He doesn't do nothing. And he also doesn't give in by signaling his flesh towards the temptation that's, lo- that's knocking on his door. Instead, David models self-control. By what? By resisting temptation through stubborn belief that God designs what is best. It may be that God has told him to curse me. And it may be that God will turn this cursing somehow into a blessing. David committed himself to God. Self-control. What does this kind of stubborn, stubborn belief look like? What would it look like if we were to have stubborn belief. God knows whether marriage or singleness is best for me. And so rather than pursuing pleasure through casual sex, I trust that he loves me and satisfies my longings. God knows the kind of day I've had. He knows I didn't need to come home to all of this drama, but I trust Him for patience. God knows that this child has acted out repeatedly this morning. So I trust Him to teach me goodness and kindness right in the middle of this temptation to react with anger and frustration. God knows that this individual is hard for me to be around, and so I trust God for kindness, kindness to have this conversation that I would certainly prefer to avoid. God knows my needs for emotional and physical intimacy and My spouse's needs are so different right now, and so I trust him to make me faithful even when I don't get what I want. God knows that I have been hurt, that it wasn't fair, that she didn't tell the whole truth, but rather than defending myself, I Trust God to help me learn humility and long-suffering. God knows my boss is an overbearing jerk face. But rather, rather than talking about her behind her back, I trust God for the joy to serve under her authority. God knows my insecurity, but rather than using it as an excuse, I trust God to help me grow in thankfulness. 
God knows that I'm anxious, but rather than avoiding people or places, I trust God to give me peace. God knows that too many stresses have piled up into my morning. Rather than venting my anger and frustration to my wife, I trust God for sufficient grace to press on. This is stubborn belief. Stubborn belief affirms that God controls every circumstance. Stubborn belief recognizes that there are no accidents. Nothing has come your way by chance, that everything is part of His best design for you. No matter how difficult no matter how uncomfortable, no matter how overwhelming, no matter how many plates it seems like you're having to spin, rather than rationalizing, rather than making excuses, rather than presuming on God or wallowing in self-pity, as you learn to believe that God designs what is best, your belief becomes resilient, firm, unflinching, stubborn, like a wall between your flesh and the temptation knocking at the door. It would be nice if God immediately fixed David's circumstances, but that is not what happened. Actually, things got worse. Look at verse 13. So David and his men went on the road, while Shimei went along on the hillside. In other words, he has the upper ground. Don't try it. He has the upper ground and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and flung dust. How awful. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan. God did not remove the source of David's suffering. He did not miraculously resolve this situation by dropping a flaming hailstone on Shimei's head. That's how we'd like the story to end. It doesn't end that way. The story ends with David continuing on till he got where he needed to go, Shimei having the upper ground, cursing, throwing rocks, and flinging dirt at them the whole way. Self-control. David resists temptation through stubborn belief that God designs what is best. But guess what? Young people, what do you think I'm going to say next? Say it. You're not David. You're not David. You need much more than a good example. And I need much more than this good example. Are you with me on that? Let's look at Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 23. When he was reviled, he did not revile 
in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. If he didn't live perfectly under the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus may have rationalized, look, I'm not going to strike this soldier dead, I'll just stop his heart for about 90 seconds. Maybe I won't call 12 legions of angels, I'll just call one angel to deal with this angry mob. If he wasn't living under the power of the Holy Spirit, he may have rationalized that way. Or he may have made excuses. This is all Judas's fault. And if Peter, James, and John had been more attentive back in the garden, if they had actually watched and prayed with me, I wouldn't be in this situation. He may have presumed if he was not walking perfectly by the Spirit. God sent me to rescue sinners. He wouldn't expect me to put up with this abuse. I shouldn't be treated this way. Don't they know who I am? If he didn't live perfectly under the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus may have given in to self-pity. After all of the miracles I've done, after I've fed you, after I've brought your son back from the dead, after I have taught you the ways of God, after I have served so faithfully, this isn't fair. I deserve better than this. No. There is no rationalizing. There is no excuse making. There is no presuming on God. There is no self pity. What does Jesus do? He continues entrusting himself to him who judges justly. I call that stubborn belief. Continuing to entrust himself to God, continuing to believe that God designs what is best, even in this circumstance that seems like it's not what is best in the moment. This is resilient, unflinching confidence in the plan of God. This is remarkable self-control in the face of incredible suffering. And we shouldn't miss this. It is Jesus' self-control in this moment that leads to our salvation. Look at verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. This is remarkable. The self-control that Jesus models for us while he is suffering and being reviled, that self-control leads directly to our salvation. He goes to the cross, humbles himself to death, even death 
on a cross. Because he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sin in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. This is better than the example that we have in David. The death of the Lord Jesus empowers all those who receive the Holy Spirit to follow his example of showing self-control even in the midst of terrible suffering, difficult circumstances, hard times. By his wounds, you have been healed. Have you been healed? Is your heart healed by the wounds of Jesus? Do you believe that he bore your sins in his body on the tree? Are you trusting in Jesus as your only hope? If not, would you trust in him right now? Would you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and ask God to save you? Not because of anything that you have done, but because Jesus lived perfectly, went to the cross and laid down his life humbly and was raised from the dead to prove that every sin that he died for has been perfectly paid for, fully forgiven? Would you believe in the Lord Jesus right now? If your heart has been healed by the wounds of Jesus, then that same power that enables Jesus to live joyfully, fruitfully, and faithfully is available to you. Jesus died so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Jesus died so that the power of sin might be broken in our hearts, so that by stubborn belief we might build up walls between the flesh and temptation at the door. We might learn to trust Him in all things and Jesus died to forgive us, church, for all of our failure to show self-control. We are forgiven by the blood of Jesus. No one accidentally exercises self-control. But by the Spirit's power, you can build a wall between the flesh and temptation at the door. How do we do this? We do this through stubborn belief that God designs what is best, that He knows my circumstances, that He's aware of what I am feeling and enduring and, and the stress that I'm experiencing, the frustration that I am having, that He knows these things and yet designs them for my good. Stubborn unbelief that God designs what is best. 
This is self-control by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we need your help. We know, we know when we think about our, our mornings, when we think about last night, when we think about the weekend and the week that's passed, we know that we have not exercised self-control. We have not lived out and followed the model of our Savior Jesus. It hasn't been evident in our lives that the power of sin has been broken. We've given in again and again. Father, in your mercy, we can confess our sins and ask you to forgive us through the blood of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We confess that his death on the cross is sufficient for all of our sin, all of our failure to show self-control, and we celebrate that that power of sin has been broken and that we are now called to live in righteousness. Would you please help us to grow and to cultivate, to foster stubborn belief that you design what is best? Help us. Would you cause us to repent where that is necessary this morning and where confession may be necessary. Stir that up in our hearts. Move us towards one another where we need to confess these things that we have done and where we have not modeled self-control. Move us in those ways towards one another where we've offended and hurt and broken relationships. Father, thank you for sending your Holy Spirit and answering the prayer that we prayed at the beginning. Please take your word and apply it to our hearts. Take away anything that I have said that has been unhelpful, not of you. Please just remove that from our hearts and plant deeply those things from your word that you want us to know and to believe and to respond to. We ask that you would do this for our good and for your glory. Father, draw sinners to yourself today who have never responded to the preaching of the gospel. Grant them by your Holy Spirit life and repentance and faith so that they respond by calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus, repenting and believing for the very first time. We ask this as well for their good and for your glory. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Invite the strike team to come up.